On this week's episode of Isolated But Not Alone, we're going to continue discussing the family from the Christian perspective. On last week's episode, we dived into prolegomenon, which is just a big fancy word to describe the introduction of something, the introduction of a book. In this case, the introduction of things that we need to know before diving into the family from the Christian perspective. So in theology, where I kind of took that term, means kind of how we're going to set up our theology framework so that when we are talking through our theology, you can kind of understand the overall picture of what we're aiming to do. And so for the family, we had to do the same thing, but it was around psychology. What do we do with psychology when it comes to the Christian family? And I've been involved in two very different schools of thought in that regard. One school is, is psychology is evil. It's of the devil. It's of the world. So therefore, we need to get rid of it completely, completely get rid of it. Nothing that it has to offer is good. And we just need to take everything we have from the Bible. I've also been on the completely other school of thought or involved in that school of thought that says that the Bible has nothing to give us. That everything we know comes from society and from this understanding that we create knowledge as we go. And so my goal here is to kind of meet in the middle. Meaning this, is that I will not say on the podcast that psychology has nothing to offer. Nor will I go to the other extreme and say the Bible does not speak to things that we need to know and that will be helpful to us. On last week's episode, I talked about the Christian psychologist who said that they had went to the J. Adams seminar on biblical counseling, and he basically said, take all your learning and just throw it out, quit, because it can't help you. And I disagree with that. I remember having a dialogue a few months ago with a friend, and I was discussing with them, where does our spirituality come from? How do we grow spiritually? Is there a process? Are there rules to how growth happens? Is it similar to how the human body grows? And I remember the response I received was one of like, what in the world are you talking about? Because this particular friend comes from an environment where those things are just assumed to happen. And there's no need to look into it. There's no need to understand it. God just does it. And that's okay. And that's why I think psychology can be helpful. Because what is psychology really? It's observation. It's looking for phenomena or phenomenon, excuse me. It's looking for patterns. It's observing, it's collecting data. It's using that data to hypothesize things and then testing those hypotheses through experimentation. And so when we just say, well, it just happens, I think we simplify that process. So on today's episode, we're going to move from that understanding of psychology that it does play a role in helping us to understand the family, because really all we're doing is we're taking the time to observe the family, look for patterns, look for similarities, make a hypothesis about the family, because most people don't even realize that there is such a thing as a Christian researcher that studies the family without just saying, well, that's just how it happens. Just God just does it. God just creates the family. The end. That's all we need to know. That simplistic view is fine until we have issues, until we have complex problem because we live in a complex world and then those simplistic views no longer work. And some folks navigate a long time without ever having to do that. So today we're going to dive into developing a theology of the family. So stay tuned. Hi, this is James Raines. And you're listening to Isolated, But Not Alone, a podcast that seeks to bring mental health awareness to rural and isolated communities. I just wanted to take this time to let you know that this and other content 
produced by James Raines, is not therapy and is not intended to be therapy or to replace therapy. Nothing in this podcast indicates or creates a therapeutic relationship. Please consult with your therapist or seek one in your area if you are experiencing any type of mental health symptoms. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as specific life advice, and it is simply for the purpose of education. Welcome back to Isolated But Not Alone. I'm glad to be back. I had to take some time off from last week's podcast episode on continuation of understanding where our personality comes from because I was involved in a beard growing competition. So on January 1st, I shaved my beard that I had since I was almost a teenager (laughs) down to the bare skin. I didn't quite like what I saw in the mirror, but I shaved it all the way down. And then from January 1st until Thursday of last week, I was growing this big beard. And my goal from the beginning was to grow a unique beard. And so I kind of looked like the villain from the Sonic the Hedgehog movies <laughs> by the time it was all said and done. You know, with this huge mutton chops and this massive curly mustache. And so I participated in that this past week. And it was kind of funny because I shaved down to my regular size beard immediately after the, <laughs> the competition. And my daughters looked at me and they're five and three and they're like, Daddy, your head is small. so and I was like you know really my head's not small it's the same size it's just my facial hair as long as it was made my head look bigger than it actually was and so that's kind of the joy of children to bring you down to the truth of reality that apparently you have a small head so (laughs) so I apologize for missing last week's episode and hopefully we'll be back on track now that Uh, my face can breathe again. So I'm excited about that. So last week on this series, we talked about psychology and the various views that people have about how psychology fits in with Christianity. Does it have a place? And what I had said was that I believe that psychology does have a place, that everything has a place. And so my goal is to integrate research into the study of the Christian family. So we're going to start today by developing the beginnings of a theology of the family. In the church I grew up in and the Bible college that I went to, it was very interesting because what they did, their methodology for developing a theology of the family, was that they would take scripture verses, very specific scripture verses, and they would take those out of context in order to build a theology of the family. And so today I'm going to do the opposite of that because oftentimes I felt that was extremely harmful. And I'm going to talk a little bit later as to why I believe that was. But basically they went from the extremely specific and then they developed a general whole from that specificness. So basically they started with individual verses and then they developed an entire view of the family from those disconnected out of context passages. My goal today is to give us an overview of a theology, give us the general understanding so that when we move more specific, those verses have context in the whole. So I'm kind of doing the opposite of what I grew up in and what I learned. And some of this is going to take in my Bible college experience and knowledge, my training in the Bible, as well as my training in marriage and family therapy. And the majority of information I'm using is coming from a book called The Family, A Christian Perspective, which I think is an excellent book to give you an overview of the family from the Christian perspective. I find it interesting that the authors of this book had the insight to kind of determine this was going to be an issue right off the bat. And so they started their book 
with wanting to develop a firm foundation for the reader to understand where they're coming from when they discuss the family. And the first question the book lends to that the reader is asking themselves is how do we best use scripture to learn God's intention for the family and family life, especially in today's society? And the authors kind of give this picture that oftentimes there's this approach to the family as if the family is constantly in danger. It's under attack by the world. The author has discussed how some folks see the Christian family and all they observe is crisis. And they don't disagree that there's distinct challenges on how Christians define the family both in its nature and its function. But they believe a lot of this comes from the confusion, as we've said before, on how to address psychology, sociological research, into how Christians understand the family. And the book kind of starts out very clear that they integrate the Bible, theology, culture, and social perspectives when studying and addressing the family and family life. They integrate secular knowledge and the truth of Scripture together. And so as we move forward discussing the family, you know going in that that's how we're going to do it. And I know, sadly, there's some folks that when they hear that will just turn this podcast off. They will say, nope. You're not doing something right. There's something wrong about this. You are being maybe even disobedient to God's word. And they miss the depth that God, theology, the Bible, culture brings into the understanding of the family. And so if you're in that boat and you're like, oh man, he's going to talk about other things, bear with me. I think you might be surprised. And that was my experience recently when I was teaching a class on the family from the Christian perspective and folks didn't even come because they knew I was going to talk about secular things. I'm putting those in air quotes, secular things. And they just wanted to learn about the Bible. And they went to a class where they did learn things about the Bible that they already knew. And that's going to lead me into my next topic about how we often see the family from the Christian perspective. And that is this. We pick out various passages of scripture dealing with the family. And as the book said, we kind of arrange them in a beautiful bouquet, right? Something that's appealing to us. They also use the metaphor of strip mining. They feel that what does a strip miner do? They dig into the dirt and they pull out precious things, valuable things. When I was a teenager, I went to visit the largest asbestos mine in the United States of America. And I remember as we drove up to this highly isolated place because asbestos is extremely feared in the United States and for good reason. And so we drove way out down this gravel road to this huge mine. And as we're driving down this road, all I saw were these huge mounds of debris, like rock mounds, dirt mounds, sand mounds. And I remember thinking, what in the world is this place? (laughs) What am I getting myself into? And we met this very elderly man at the gate that had very clear, no trespassing signs, biological hazard signs of all various types. And he kind of came in and we weren't allowed to actually go deep into the mine or anything like that because of the danger of asbestos. But we were able to talk with him. And he had been a custodian maintenance person at this mine since he was a young man. And one thing he discussed was, first off, that there's two forms of asbestos, a long form and a short form, and a long form has not been shown to cause any damage to our lungs, but the short form is, hence the reason why there's all these standards and lack of use of asbestos. And this mine, which used to employ lots of people, is now closed by the government. But what he said was also interesting was he pointed out at all those mounds, and he said, 
of all the asbestos that we pull out of here, that is all the waste. And he implied that to get a little bit of asbestos, you had to do a lot of digging. You had a lot of waste product. In fact, if I remember correctly, the proportion was very out of sync. Now, I'm going to say a proportion, but I don't know if this is accurate. I just remember in my young mind, this is what I heard. So for every 100% that you dig out of the ground, only 1% of that is going to have asbestos. And 99% of it's going to be waste. And he said that now there's, in fact, people that are buying the mine so that they could sift through the waste in order to find new precious materials. And that's sometimes what we do to scripture, right? Is we dig out and we throw all this stuff out for the precious pearl that we're looking for. The book describes that the strip miner is diving into the veins of scripture, right? They're digging into the dirt and they're throwing out everything and emerging with these golden nuggets of truth. In fact, when I went to Bible college, that's all we used to hear about was nuggets of truth from the scripture. These golden nuggets. This book sees that as a harmful thing, but at the Bible college I went to, it was like their motto. No mention of all the stuff we were disregarding to get those golden nuggets. And it taught us as young people that we have to search scripture, not for what it says, but for what it can give us in these golden nuggets, these treasures. But what the authors say is, is that the truths that we often dig up come from our own or conform to our own preconceived ideas. So basically, when we're digging and we're finding these treasures, really, they're already coming and conforming to the ideas that we already had. So in a sense, we're looking for gold, right? We're looking for something specific. And we mine through, throw everything out that doesn't match that. And then when we find it, we found it. We found the golden nugget. But there's all this other stuff that's just cast aside. And that goes back to what I was talking about earlier is that when I was at this Bible college, we were hyper-specific. That's all we did was dig for these gold nuggets. And then out of those gold nuggets, we define this entire view of the family. But really what we were doing was, is we were defining the family based on who we were. And in the case of this Bible college, it was what they believed was right. You see how that works? You see the jump there? So instead of taking scripture at its whole, we were looking for very specific passages that ended up proving what the teachers and the school already believed about the family. And then it was passed on to us as truth that we discovered when really it was handed to us, packaged for us. And if you resisted that, it was disobedience. See how that works? And the authors ironically give a list of New Testament regulations that are usually mined as gold nuggets. They give passages like Ephesians 5, 22 through 6, 9, Colossians 3, 18, 1 Timothy 2, 8 through 15, 1 Timothy 6, 1 through 2, Titus 2, 1 through 10, 1 Peter 2, 18 through 3, 7. What they said was these passages, if you take them into the context in which they were written, they actually show an indication of early Christians and their concern for order. So culturally, early Christians were concerned about order in certain relationships. And so these passages that are oftentimes mined as gold nuggets to be applied to our life today are taken completely out of context and for the original purpose as the original Christians would have seen them. And so for our theology of the family, we're going to move back from that process. We're going to try to avoid that. Because as I said in the group that I was teaching recently, is that oftentimes we mirror our own family and experiences in the passages of Scripture that we're trying to use. Oftentimes we're no different than any other type of family, but we're able to deny that, minimize that, distort it cognitively 
by using scripture. And so in a sense, whatever we are getting from the Bible already conforms to what we believe about ourselves, whether that's good or bad. Meaning this, that if I think I'm a dirty, rotten person and I go look at it in scripture for stuff like that, I'm going to find it. I'm going to find examples of that. And then it's going to say, look, you're right. And if you're doing something in your family, you might do the same thing. You might look in scripture and find things that say, you're doing a good job. That's exactly what you're supposed to be doing. And then it reinforces what you're thinking, the good or the bad. It reinforces it. But really, we need to take a broad view when considering the Bible. We have to take into account things like theology, which often offers a deeper meaning and concrete principles of living, especially in a postmodern and complex society. That's about all we have time for today. But as we go through, we're going to develop a theology of the family based on what the authors call Trinitarian relationality. Trinitarian relationality. And I'm not, I don't want to give too much away for the next upcoming podcast episode. But basically, they're going to look at God and the Trinity and then determine how do we see and relate to that in relationship to God and the Trinity? How do we relate to God and the Trinity? How were we created in an image that was like that? And then how do we develop a theology of the family from there? So I hope you're liking this content. This is going to be quite a long series because there's a lot of things to talk about when we talk about the family from the Christian perspective. We are just getting started. And in 20-minute increments, which is what I like to try to keep the podcast at, there's going to be a lot of information. So I hope you're enjoying this. If you are, go ahead and share it with family and friends. Even if you're not and it's challenging to you, share it with family and friends because it's good to be challenged. If we live in a world where everybody tells us what we want to hear all the time, that's going to be a very unpleasant place to be, right? It's good to be challenged. It's good to listen to the opinions and the perspectives of others. So I hope that you are enjoying this. And remember, you might be isolated, but you're not alone. Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast enough to share it with friends and family, and reach out with any questions you might have about mental health, and we will do our best in future shows to answer those questions. And remember, it might feel like you're isolated, and maybe you are, but you're not alone.